Welcome to the 300th episode of Free Thoughts. I'm your host, Nora Powell, and today I'm joined by my dad, Aaron Powell, and my friend, Trevor Burrs. Thank you for coming to the show, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. What is an important memory from this experience that you will cherish forever? Hmm. I would say I, we interviewed Thomas Sowell. That was pretty incredible because Thomas Sowell definitely was important to me and Aaron. And when, when we were thinking about these ideas, that was that was definitely memorable. Um, yeah, I think – I mean I have certainly shows that were particularly important or that were particularly fun to do. But, but in general, it's just getting to do this show. I mean I, I said – for that like I when I was in college, I was the guy who showed up to everyone's office hours to just talk with professors instead of like complaining about grades on papers. I or, can verify that. Uh, <laughs> he still goes back and sees the I professors twenty years later. Um and and this show is now three hundred hours into it, has been an opportunity to just get to continue doing that, that I get to add interesting people if they can sit down and I can pick their brains for an hour and in almost every instance they say yes and I get to do it and it's totally fascinating and I've learned a ton of cool stuff and met a ton of really interesting people and it somehow is part of what I get to do for a living which is quite awesome. I agree with all that, yes. What is one of the most important things that you've learned from this? I think I've learned so I mean our jobs as hosts is to ask questions to clarify what the guests are talking about. Uh, I've learned to think differently than I'm thinking if I'm talking to someone myself in terms of well would someone else uh, understand this even though I may understand this thing that they're saying. And then also how to bring up counter arguments. I think I'm better at that now than I was at the beginning in terms of, you know, why would someone think differently about this? Uh, what's the best counter argument against this? It's I mean the whole Six years now of yeah, doing six, this yeah. is has been a a learning experience. Um, I mean, if you if you go back and you listen to our earliest episodes, our first handful of episodes, they're pretty rough. That the first one is just us talking, and we haven't done that a lot since. Um, but but even the early ones with the guests, like just learning how to be a good host, learning how to maintain a flow of conversation, learning the tricks of having two hosts, which is really valuable in some ways because Trevor and I bring different perspectives to the show. We bring different styles to the show, different bodies of knowledge to the show. But it also can be a challenge because if it's just you asking questions, you know what you want the next question to be. You know where you want the thing to go next and you can just do that. You can ask all the questions you want but with a Another host, I mean, it it's gotten a lot better, but you can tell sometimes in the early episodes, like, you know, the, the guest is talking and I'm thinking like this would be a really good follow-up and I want to see about this. And then Trevor will ask instead a question that takes a different direction, or I'll do the same thing. And and you have to learn to work with the flow of that, um, or or just learn to anticipate what the other person is going to do. And this is, I think, the benefit of Trevor and me having known each other for 20 years now um, and have had – back when we were in college, having had a lot of opportunities to have a lot of conversations is that we we came into this knowing each other pretty well. But, but the learning experience was knowing each other as co-hosts within this context 
Um, and, and the little things like we always tell the guests before each episode, you know, we sit down and one of the things we say is like, you'll see us raise our hand and gesture. Um, and that, you know, we say that doesn't mean we're trying to cut you off, ignore us, keep talking, but it's just us indicating to each other who's going to ask the next question or I've got a follow up and, and just the flow of that. And, um, and then everything else that goes into, you know, conducting a good show, what kinds of guests, what kinds of questions work. Like I think that both of us have gotten better over the years at anticipating the questions that our audience is probably thinking. You, you learn that like your own ignorance of these topics because when you're talking with this many people about all these different things, it's a lot of topics you don't know anything about. Your own ignorance of that is an asset because you can ask like the – I mean the prime examples I think when we had our old colleague Mark Calabria on about banking policy. Like we asked like what is a bank? Yes. And we weren't, we weren't playing dumb on and that we weren't one. Playing dumb. Like like we, these, we, these are things that – Deserve to be explained by someone right. like and Mark. So, and I don't really know specifically. Yeah. So playing to that and recognizing that, but it's it's all bad. And then I mean, just everything from microphone technique to all of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes about producing and editing these shows that that Evan and Tess and Landry over the six years have worked on, like learning about that. It's I mean, I I have just learned so much from doing this and and all of that is independent of just what I learned from talking to the guests who have taught me an incredible amount of things. I'm thinking now about my favorite stupid question I asked. I liked your point about the if you don't know actually what's going on, you actually you, I always say I ask dumb questions about things I don't know much about like foreign policy and monetary policy. So I ask questions like what is money? or what is the gold standard? Or my favorite one I ever asked was George Shelgen asking him uh if you ran a before we had a U.S. currency, before there was a centralized U.S. currency, if you ran a store in New Hampshire in 1830, how did you like deal with your cash register at the end of the day? Did you just have like 50 bills of different states and different banks in your cash register? That seems really strange. And so those are those are questions I had no idea about, and that those are some of the favorite answers I've ever gotten. Are there things that you think you would change in future podcasts? Well, I've always wanted to bring on more non-libertarians. Uh, that would be fun. They they don't tend to respond to our emails as readily as people we know who are libertarians who know Cato and maybe you know appreciate Cato. We have people e we email who probably actively hate Cato, and uh, they probably don't email back. I don't think they should, but they probably do. Uh, so I'd love to have more debates of that sort between people in future podcasts. Um, if anyone, if anyone has any suggestions of of guests that you think might be good. Who would like to come on here and and have a constructive conversation about things that we disagree? We, we've had a few, but it'd be nice to have more. Yeah, we certainly we've have had a few, and they've been some of our best episodes. And but Trevor's right; like that is one thing that I would like to have more of is more people who disagree with the positions that we take. That said, I think one of the things that we have gotten to be pretty good at is anticipating and asking the questions like so we if even if we have a guest who we for the most part agree with Trevor and I are good at putting on the hats of people who would disagree with us and the guest and asking the the hard questions that they would you know they'd be like oh this guy like this is going to be the question that gets him and we can anticipate that and ask those kinds of questions sometimes so good that our audience thinks that I'm a gun grabber there's a yes. yeah there's one episode where I interviewed my mentor about guns and I challenged him so hard that we got an iTunes review that was like I thought this was a libertarian podcast until I realized the host hated guns. And I was like, well, that, that feels good about that I'm that good at playing devil's advocate that I actually seem like a gun grabber. Yeah. I, 
I don't know if there's that many like specific things that I would like to change versus just continuing to be willing to try new things on the show, bring on guests outside of the range, not just ideologically, like people who disagree with us. But you know, at one point, we started bringing on more of what we call like practitioner episodes, like people who aren't Academics. talking heads yeah. and academics and policy people like we are, but instead are like out there doing things in the world. And so the show isn't really about politics anymore, but more just like, tell me what it is and how you do it. Um, and some of those have been among our best and most popular episodes. So I'd like to continue to explore those kinds of things. Which historical figure would you most likely have on a podcast? Ooh, that's a really good question, Nora. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a dork for I'm a Constitution guy, so uh, I would like to have James Madison on. Uh, you know James Madison, don't you, Nora? Of course. I, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think that you learned that what third grade, fourth grade, fourth grade. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think I'm trying to remember. Why I had a Constitution. Class or like part of my class, I think in fourth grade, I think so. Anyway, James Madison would be an interesting guy because it's relevant to the work I do. Also, someone like Julius Caesar. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't really have like good libertarian bona fides, uh, and he wouldn't really know what we we're talking about in terms of government by consent or anything like that. Uh, but it would be interesting. I have to pick either the Buddha. That he would be interesting, but not maybe not as like. I think it would be either Socrates um, or, I mean, my probably number one choice would be Diogenes the Cynic. <laughs> well, Socrates would be really aggravating, though, because he would just ask us questions <laughs> until we're like convinced that what we're doing that, right of now. whatever he's doing. I know, but it would just be it would we'd be like Socrates is our guest, and he's it, like, I, I could I, not I, be I, otherwise. It could Socrates. not be otherwise. Yes, so, but uh, that would be fun. Um, also, I think it'd be interesting to have someone like Joseph Stalin on about. Uh, I've always wanted, like, I mean, Joseph Stalin might be an extreme example, but people who did a lot of wrong in history, whether or not they're actually just psychopaths or they really were trying to do something that they thought was worth it, that would be that would be interesting too. Can you explain why you named this Free Thoughts? Uh, it's my name, Trevor. It, came up yeah, with that. well, it's a triple entendre. Uh, it's got three meanings, I guess, at least. So, it's free flowing thoughts. It's thoughts about freedom and their and no cost thoughts to our listeners. Right. I I would only add to that that it was not the name was not originally for the podcast. No, that when no. libertarianism.org first launched before we had any podcasts, we had a blog and the blog was called we for whatever reason decided that the blog needed its own name as opposed to just being the libertarianism.org blog. And so the blog was called Free Thoughts. So Trevor came up with that name. And then at about the same time that we launched this podcast, we had decided we were going to end having the blog and just have regular articles on the site. So we moved the name over to that. And it's been, I think, a pretty good one. Do you like the name, Nora? Yes. Yeah. Where did the idea of Free Thoughts come from? Like where you didn't just start making it one day. You just, you had to have been like, oh, I want to do this. Where did that come from? I mean – so I think the, the first motivation was, um, as the people who have known us for years and years can attest to, Trevor and I had a lot of really fascinating conversations. And we were like, wow, these conversations we have are so interesting. Although Everybody we now would like cringe. to listen in. We would them. so cringe yes. now, I'm sure. But, uh, but no, I think it was – we both were fans of a handful of podcasts. Um, 
So there was Econ Talk, who we've had Russ Roberts, the host on the show, was a, a big inspiration. Um, there was also there's a show still going on now called The Partially Examined Life that was a bunch of people getting together and reading philosophy texts and talking about them. Uh, and we said, you know, the kinds of stuff that we're doing with libertarianism.org, the the kinds of ideas that we talk about, the the philosophy, the history, the theory that is the core of what we do would lend itself very well to a show. So Cato had a podcast for because had a podcast for a long time. And but that show is that show is about public policy. And so it is like daily 10 to 15 minutes talking about a like an expert in a very specific policy field about what's going on right now, largely. And we thought like that format doesn't really match well the kind of stuff that we do at libertarianism.org, which is more abstract and looking at ideas and and taking a step back from things. And so we thought based on these largely on econ talk and partially examined life, we were like, we should do a show that is conversations about libertarianism.org sorts of topics that is longer, that's an hour long. So it gives the topics room to breathe and room for us to explore. And and we also want a show that was more conversational because we both liked shows that felt like you're just listening in on an interesting conversation. And so that's what we wanted with our guests. I really wanted to make sure that people got an honest take on libertarianism because it's many of the ideas are really strange to to people. So if you first hear someone say uh, there shouldn't we shouldn't have public education or we shouldn't have uh, uh, publicly provided health insurance or even let's say legal licensing. What you really want to do is ask that person questions like, "Are you crazy? Can you possibly support this crazy position?" And if you give and I, I, I my idea was if you gave Michael Cannon or if you gave Neil McCluskey or someone like enough and you asked them the questions and you said make your case and you had and you asked them the questions that people wanted would want to ask them if they were in the room with them, then at the end of it they might be like, hmm, okay, that's not so crazy anymore. I might not totally agree with it, but it's not so crazy that I think that libertarians are just off the reservation of acceptable ideas. Uh, and so if people like podcasts and they want to you hear about new ideas and hear these new ideas get challenged, then we could make one like that. And I, that was the idea. How does it feel to have been doing this for almost six years? Well, it, I mean, I think it's flown by. I mean, do you think it's flown by? Yeah, it's certainly. And that's just the nature of, see, when you get older, Nora, a year is much shorter <laughs> than, than, when any other, when, than when you're 10. Yeah. So, because you were four, you were, you were on this show when you were four, when we started five. It. five. No, I think five. you say four I, in I, the video. I think yeah. I said five. Now you, when you introduced her, you're like a four-year-old from the Washington DC area. But Did anyway. I get your age wrong in the video? It depends on when we recorded. Anyway, you I were very tired. And you were very then. you were very young. Yeah. Um and you were very tired back then because you had the you had the well the twins coming up. So um yeah, but it's I mean so yes, it's flown by. Um I I often like I feel bad sometimes because there are many, many of the three hundred episodes that I shouldn't say this because it's all all of our guests are like wonderful and they're great people and thank you so much for coming on. But after 300 epi weekly episodes, they're just like – I go back and I'll be like, oh, we did one on that. We had that. Like you just forget some of it. But but it's been – I mean it's it's been incredible. It's an incredible way to spend six years. It's It's been an honor, a privilege to be able to do this. Um, I think our catalog is awesome too. If we, you know, if we stop today, 
we were not, but yeah, we have like no, 300 I mean, episodes of a both, pretty good, pretty good education. Yeah. Really proud of this show and what we've done. So, I mean, mainly it's just been six years has flown by, but it's been an incredible privilege to get to do this. So how has your podcast made an impact on the world? I distinctly remember maybe four years ago, Nora, um, that I was heading into work and you asked me, why are you going into work or can you just stay home today or something like that? And I said, no, because I have to go in and fight for freedom. And you said, you said, how is a podcast fighting for freedom? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I think I don't remember you telling me that. Uh, but Nora's question is good. How is a podcast fighting for freedom? Um, I actually think it's extremely important because I am a believer of what Hayek described as in his intellectuals and in society, like secondhand dealers and ideas. So if you want to change the world in a more libertarian direction, one thing you have to do is you, you probably need to make more libertarians or more people who believe at least libertarian things about something about foreign policy or healthcare or something yeah. and make them into voters or make them around it. And one of the reasons that we have the ideas that we just have in society, like that um, public education is necessary for a government to do, which most people probably believe is that everyone around them believes that. And so I sometimes say that we just need more libertarians in bars. I mean, not just because I go to the bar a lot as a libertarian. I mean, when the, when a conversation breaks out at a bar about the presidential election or what's going on in, in a foreign overseas or something, there's a libertarian in there who's relatively well informed who says, have you guys considered this? And then you start hearing more and more people be like, when I introduce myself, hey, I'm Trevor, a libertarian. He's like, oh, yeah, my friend, uh, my friend Brett's a libertarian. Yeah, he kind of makes sense sometimes. And I guess we're going for the Bretts of the world and more and more of people like that who, who to make libertarianism more of a mainstream position. And overall, I think in that's the mission of a lot of the organizations in a general sense that are involved in libertarianism. And I think in the grand sense, it's been wildly successful. I think that in 1975, like around the time that our colleague David Bowes kind of got started in this stuff, every time you said, told someone you're a libertarian, they had to be like, I've never heard of what that is. I have no idea what that is. Now I think that's less common, um, much less common. They've probably heard of libertarian. They may have really bad ideas of what a libertarian actually is, uh, but they hopefully they've heard of it. And if you have someone who's listened to a bunch of free thoughts episodes and says, Hey, you know, have you considered this viewpoint or I'm going to vote for a more libertarian direction? Then I think that does slowly can change the world. And I hope, I think that there's probably someone out there. And if you, if you're there, if you are out there, you can send me an email who is probably a libertarian because of this show. I've had people come up and tell me at student events that this has been very influential on them. But I think there's probably one person, at least one person out there who would make that claim. And okay. that just feels nice by itself. We, so. We've had, I mean, we've had interns who have said yes, the reason yeah, that's that they true. ended up as a Cato intern is because they found free thoughts. Uh, and, and to speak to what Trevor said, we have tried very hard in this show to speak to that audience that we try not to we don't want to make this a show just for libertarians we want to make this a really interesting show about lots of interesting topics and conversations with lots of interesting people that anyone will find valuable and then we also talk about these things from our perspective which happens to be a libertarian one 
but but we want it to be a show that is approachable by all sorts of people. And and I know that there's this is a show that people are like, you know, so a libertarian listens to this and is like, this is the show that I recommend to my friends. And I've gotten my friends listening to it. And you know, they're still they haven't been convinced yet, but this is the only libertarian show that they listen to. And I think that's really valuable too. Because it's it's one thing to get people to call themselves a libertarian. But that's not what really matters. What matters is that they is that more and more people embrace the principles we do of equal treatment and respect for rights and individual liberty and freedom and human dignity um, and all of the the values that are so important. And to the extent that they do that and that they get the they understand why these are important and they put them into practice. That's a victory for us, no matter what label the person ultimately affixes to themselves. And I think it's it's always anecdotal. Like we just hear from people who come up to us at at events or interns who come talk to us or emails that we get, but it feels like we have been successful I think, in doing just that. I, th I think we have. I don't know, Nora. Have you have you listened to all a bunch of episodes of Free Thoughts? Um, <laughs> you can say no to not yet, but I'm planning on. You're planning on it, okay? Okay. <laughs> So do you have any regrets in regard to the podcast? Um, I don't know that I have any regrets. I mean there are certainly times when I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go down there and record another episode right now. <laughs> well, it's usually you know, we record like four in a week. Sometimes when we record four in a week. Uh, so, so there are times when I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? But that's not quite the same as like regrets about – the show. Yeah, I've had a couple times uh, when we've had people on who I was disagreeing with, but you're, you're kind of aware of how much time has gone by and you want to make sure that you cover some other things. But I've left some stuff on the table or they said something that was pretty ridiculous and or wrong or does it needed to be questioned in some way. And I've been like, well, okay, moving on. Um, because we we don't have we don't have infinite amount of time. We try and keep it between forty five and fifty minutes, roughly, and uh, you can't you can't go after everything. Um, so that would be probably regrets. Um, sometimes when I didn't email people or get back to email people, I would maybe like follow up enough because I will, I'll get no responses sometimes to some people, and I'll maybe I'll follow up one more time and you know maybe try again a few months later or something for people who who you'd really are consider reach guests maybe that you'd be extremely happy for them to come on that would be that would be great but overall I think we've done a pretty good job do you have anything that your fellow libertarians would find interesting about you that interesting about me um just libertarians or or anyone anyone, anyone. um I used to play in a bunch of kind of weird bands uh, back in the day I took five years off between undergrad and law school um, I don't know, Aaron. What is what is, is there anything interesting, interesting about me? I, I can tell interesting you interesting things about, about Aaron. Yeah, when I met Aaron, he had blue hair. I think I think Norris heard this, and red hair. You like red, red. not like red like mine, but like red like dyed I've, red. I've heard that he's dyed his hair, but I didn't know that when you met him, he had his yeah. hair. Yeah, that like was that, that was he thought he, my hair dying. He period. thought he was punk rock. He still kind of does. How long was ago was that? that? Was pretty punk rock in high school. That's all I did was went to punk I'm rock shows in Detroit, which is a very punk rock. That is a very punk rock city. How long ago was that? 
20 years ago. That was 20 ago. years ago. Yeah, 2000 or 1999. Wow. There might be some pictures. I heard you're getting pretty punk, Nora. Yeah. 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 I have quite a few girl rock bands that I love. Yeah, so you take it after your dad. So Aaron's punk. Yeah, my dad got me into Sleater Kinney. Yeah, there you go. And I'm more I'm more on the metal side than the punk side. Um, I used to have a studio in my house. Uh, I'm, I always say that my two obsessions are music and liberty, human freedom. Which are actually the same thing if you think about it in the right way. Um, what else? What is interesting? I, my, I mean, I'm from Colorado and never really moved. Uh, my You're par- from my, Colorado. I never knew that. Yes, you did. How no, do you not I didn't. know that? Oh, you, really? Okay. I guess. Actually, I guess I never knew you in Colorado. I mean, even though you were born in Colorado and I yeah. was and I was there right after you were born, uh, I've been here pretty much all your memories. Uh, yeah, I'm from right on the other one right on the south side of Denver, and my parents still live in the house I grew up in. Yeah. Oh wow. One answer to this question is that Trevor and I have been pretty open about all sorts of like so longtime listeners probably know most of the interesting stuff there is to know about Aaron's a Batman guy. I'm a Daredevil guy. That is true. We've yeah. had one of these days, there's there's the regret, is that we have not yet done a knockdown drag out episode about Batman versus Daredevil. True. Yes. Uh, so maybe <laughs> maybe for three hundred and fifty that'll be the treat for longtime listeners. But um, let's see. I am a published novelist. Yeah. Does everybody know that you're a dad of three children? Yes. And that you own a cat that you hate? <laughs> yes. I don't know if I talked about the new cat. Uh, oh, you mean Nurgle? Nurgle. Yeah, Nurgle. Nurgle's, Nurgle's pretty violent, I hear. Yeah. It yeah. turns out that if you name a cat after a chaos demon, it turns out poorly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but that, I mean, so I, I wrote a novel. I published a novel. Um did not sell a whole lot of copies. But it's very uh, good. I have it's just it's called the whole. I, I enjoy it. Um Aaron used to run a very, very big role playing gaming website. Yeah, for, for a while tabletop. I ran some of my friends and I ran the what was the largest tabletop gaming website in the world called the Gaming Outpost. Wow. So I did that all throughout college, um, which was a lot of fun. And I got to know lots of people who are now big names in the tabletop gaming industry. To the extent that one can be a big name in the tabletop gaming industry, and wasn't that wasn't that website once part of like the IGN collective, and you went to yeah. Comic Con or yeah, Dragon yeah, I got Con to or fun stuff? So I did all of that. So, so basically, I'm the this this kind of stuff. I'm even more nerdy than I seem <laughs> on the air. Oh, I got one. Uh, Aaron and I used to run a T-shirt business. We did uh, called IdiotShirts.org. It was or do we have com? <laughs> I think it was .com. .com. And it was just pic- pictures of famous people with the word idiot under them. Like so if you were having a picture of Che Guevara and it would say idiot. And we sold a bunch of these uh, to a bunch of people. Uh, it got pretty strange. We had we had a bunch of strangely abstract ones like Thomas Aquinas or George Custer. The Manual Kant one the, sold a the, lot of the copies. Manual Kant, probably to objectivists. Yeah. Um, and we yeah we had that domain name and we ran uh, ads on something awful and uh, that was that was pretty fun. Uh, yeah. Do you have any idiot shirts left? I don't think so. No. Could I have one to wear to school? <laughs> <laughs> I have. My, I think I have my linen and my Ralph Nader one. And I have the original Che Guevara one I made at Boulder, which is how the idea happened because I just I was sick of seeing Che Guevara T-shirts at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Yeah, those, I guess those are moderately interesting things. So we all know that people aren't born libertarian, democratic, or republican. They make these decisions during adulthood. What information helped you make your decision? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you came to it earlier than I did, so you yes. started. 
but a lot of the stuff that I believed, I think, uh, libertarian me now would have called the self-described libertarian at 15, probably like just moderately libertarian because I wasn't very libertarian on foreign policy. Yeah, you were a neocon um, in college. But I also never studied it and stuff. I mean, I, w I wouldn't do neocon, but uh, I think I was for the Iraq war, but, it, but I, but I kind of came into libertarianism, totally domestic policy, economics. Uh, for my th – okay. I always say that I'm a libertarian and I consider myself one since I was about 13 uh, because I hate – liars and bullies and I'm stupid. Those are like the three things that so when I was when I was about thirteen, I got into this question about recycling and whether or not you should recycle. And I bet Nora in school, what what have you learned about recycling in school? That you should always do it? Yeah. Yeah. Did you think that you shouldn't do it? Well, it didn't make total sense to me. Well, okay. So I go to my dad and I go, Why are we recycling everything all the time? What are we doing? Why? Why we shouldn't be recycling everything all the time? And um, wait, how old sorry, were you? I mean, we should be. I was like twelve or thirteen. So okay. I said we should be recycling everything all the time because I just went to school and I was told that recycling always mattered, and so I was giving my dad crap about that. So I'm like, why aren't we recycling everything? And my dad gives me a column by Thomas Sowell, who I mentioned previously, about recycling, and what that column actually said was it asked the question about. The first line was something like, when is something trash and when is it a resource? And that struck me as very fascinating. And I asked you that question, Nora. So how do you know the difference between trash and a resource? Resources you can reuse. Yeah. Well, you could, you know, you could reuse, you know, you could reuse toilet paper, but we don't. Uh, we, 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 that would be pretty disgusting. It would be. But if you were like living, if you're living on the space station, there's a lot more like things you have to reuse, right? Because yeah. things are rare. Um, so in some sense, you know the difference between trash and a resource because the, a resource is valuable in a way that a trash isn't. And there are some things we should throw away and some things we shouldn't, but it's not always the same things. That's basically what this article told me. And I was, I was really, really amazed by this. And, I, and then I was really, really mad that my teachers never told me any of this stuff. <laughs> That all they did was tell me that recycling is always worth it. So being the somewhat uh, argumentative chap that I am, I went back into school and I started arguing with my teachers and making them mad and all this stuff. And then I started reading everything by Thomas Sowell and a bunch of other things and, and kind of rest is history to some extent. So in that basic sense, when you, to your question or about what facts would you need to know because you're not born a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian, uh, some of those just basic economics – uh, that that meant a lot to me uh, in terms of my development. For me, um, I kind of came to politics a lot later, like wasn't terribly engaged or interested in it until I got to college. Uh, I mean, hanging out in the punk rock scene in Detroit, you got a fair amount of it, like Noam Chomsky pamphlets on sale everywhere. But but I didn't I didn't really have strong opinions one way or another. I was kind of just on the left because that was what the people I knew were. Although I as I go back and self-examine, I suppose, I it was I think there was a there was a factual element to it that I was I had leftist kind of economic views because I just didn't know much about the topic and that was what people around me were saying. But Temperamentally, I think I always was more libertarian and so I was very libertarian on 
or what I came to learn was libertarian on a lot of social and cultural issues. Um, so for me, it was learning. It was largely learning the facts about economics. I mean, like, oh, well, this sort of thing carries through all the way, um, and and that and this gets to it's it's facts that matter. Like, you you need you know arguments. Like having facts to support your arguments are important, but it's also just the kind of opportunities you have to explore them. So what got me into libertarianism wasn't a set of facts dropped on my plate. It was meeting Trevor in a literature course and having many, many, many long conversations over two, three years um, about these sorts of things and playing with the ideas and hashing them out and trying out arguments against each other and reading and exploring um, the ideas on top of that. But, but it was that kind of human contact that convinced me in a way that had I just been reading like some blog posts or – I mean YouTube didn't exist at that time. But you know, YouTube videos or whatever, that wouldn't – I think that it's, it's – and it's similar to going back to like part of the value of free thoughts, which is introducing to these people to these ideas in a way that is you know, that like the libertarian at the bar kind of way that you get to know people who – have these ideas and they're like, well, you know, like it turns out now that I, I know them well and I've heard them for a while, these people aren't – some of them might still be crazy, but they're not as crazy or they're not crazy in the way – in the same ways as I thought before. Um, and and so I'm more willing to listen. And so for me, that's what it was, was it was those conversations that had factual elements. And I'm sure lots of like – again, if we went back and listened to those conversations now, we would cringe at how little we knew about all sorts of things. Um, but that was what – played out for it. And I think that's part of the real way you go about convincing people, not just of libertarianism, but of any kind of new set of ideas is that that personal interaction. I was just thinking it popped in my head where so we're 20, 21, 22, and we're having all these conversations and mostly it's actually about economics. I mean ultimately facts, at least policy facts. We weren't talking about political obligation theory or things like that very much, not in the way we talk about it now. Like, yeah, these weren't deep philosophical conversations at this point. Yeah, not yeah, it was much more about economics and policy stuff. And so I I'm thinking now, what what if we were interns at Cato when we were twenty, twenty one, twenty two and saw your political obligation lecture? I think we'd be totally into it. Uh yeah. but 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 you would probably hate young you as if young you was an as an intern, like these kids don't know anything. My God, he just came up to me and asked all these dumb questions about. So, <laughs> I'm not sure what I what I think about young me, but I'm pretty sure Aaron would hate young young Aaron. Oh, I hate <laughs> be annoyed by. <laughs> so, what does it mean to you to be libertarian? For me, it means taking other people seriously as people, as as say as a deep recognition of a shared humanity and a shared value, not value systems, but just value as people sharing this world, doing the best they can, trying to live the best life that they can with the only life that they get and respecting the the right of everyone to do that. And so there's – yes, there's all the, the economic arguments about economic liberty produces more wealth and there's all sorts of like you, there's there's the policy arguments, but for me at the core of it is that you have ideologies, political views based on 
people are instruments to be used to do things, to improve the state of the world, to pay for stuff that I want, to be molded into the kinds of people that I think are valuable and have the kinds of values that I think are best. Um, and and you see that on both the the progressive left, which is very much in the like, if you're not thinking the right way, you're a bad person and we need to force you to think the right way. Or if you're not supporting the right stuff or you're not behind the right causes, like we should – there's something wrong with you and we should force you into this um, and we should use government to take your stuff and give it to people we think deserve it more and so on. So you're using people as means to your ends. And on the conservative side, you get exactly the same thing with just a different set of policies. So there's a there's like a deep kind of disrespect for the dignity of the individual, whereas I think that all of my libertarianism is simply saying like people are worthwhile in and of themselves and their ability to direct their own lives is the most important thing that they have and it's the most important thing for us to respect and whatever we do, whatever policies, whatever systems we set up at the baseline level, they just have to respect the basic humanity and dignity of individuals. I, I basically have the exact same answer or not to uh, – I guess we, should, we don't have a diversity but no surprise. We've been doing this together for so long. Um, I put it a different way. Of the policy stuff that I do here, I, there's three that I particularly have gravitated toward and, and written, written the most on. That would be guns, firearms policy, campaign finance and the drug war. And I realized that all of those, all of those areas were this thing that kind of tied them together, but they were all based in disrespecting people. Or like the, or the, so the drug war was based in saying, well, I don't think that you can take these drugs responsibly in this very, very paternalistic way by people who, you know, people who passed those laws probably, you know, went home and had three bourbons, you know, before they went to bed and said, but you can't smoke marijuana responsibly. Uh, the firearms policy is often based on this idea that people uh, obviously, they can't own guns responsibly, but there, there's a lot of ideas in the gun control literature that it says almost that guns have an effect on people that turn them into psychopaths, kind of, where you, you give someone a gun and they want to go out and shoot people, uh, which which is usually – it's not a causal effect. Let me put it that way. And then campaign finance is very much about saying if we let people see these ads, if we let people hear this kind of political speech, then they might be – just uh, brainwashed, I guess would be the term. Uh, brain. I hate the term brainwashed, by the way, because everything about that is a, a disrespecting people. Brainwashed is only describes other people. You never described yourself as brainwashed. Always other people are brainwashed, which implies that you're just much better at making decisions or finding information than they are. And you hear that a lot in the campaign finance discussion. Oh, you know, Trump voters are brainwashed or Hillary voters are brainwashed. Um, what, what, that's so disrespectful of people in a very fundamental way. I've often said in my campaign finance talks that the people who don't like campaign finance, corporate money and campaign finance are just like the guy you knew in high school who were like, who was like, so, you know, you can like listen to the bands the corporations tell you that you should listen to or you can be like a free, like free individual and like, you know, make your own path. If you don't want to be a sheep, you know, you, don't, you those people 
drove me crazy in high school uh, because they were so elitist and arrogant uh, and disrespectful of people. Like the very idea of sheep just makes me cringe all the time because it's based in disrespect. And you do hear libertarians use that every now and then. There's a type of libertarianism that I'd call like clued in libertarianism, which lends itself to that attitude more than what I think it should be, which is a humility about what you can do, what how much you can control people's life and, and an understanding of the unity of that I'm an imperfect person with my own vices and foibles and so is that person and we're all trying to do the best that we can do and if we kind of let that happen in a world of freedom, things work out more often than not and they work out in a way that respects the dignity of other people. Let me ask you, what does this podcast mean to you? Uh, for I, it's a really great opportunity to learn and hang out, hang out with Aaron. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it really. I mean, I, it, we, we talked about the effect that we hope it has. Uh, yeah, which I, which I think is real, and I, and I think hopefully grows. But for me, I, it's a great opportunity to learn, to be a, a more informed air on variety of policy areas, meet people who I can interview and have a great time and and hang out with Aaron. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, it's even even on those times when I'm like, oh, do I have to? I have to head to another episode in half an hour. But but then as soon as I get into it, I enjoy it. Um, so it's a it's a real pleasure. Um, it's doing exactly what I love doing, which is just exploring fun ideas. Like that's my favorite thing in the world to do, and and it's a way to take my favorite thing in the world um, and share it with people. And share it with a lot of people, which is pretty awesome. Okay. We all know that you will retire at one point. So when you do <laughs> retire, will you pass this podcast on like to maybe another person that came and wanted to work here? Or will you just <laughs> That's like That's a really end interesting it? question. I mean uh... – all sides point to probably Aaron and I working here till retirement age, so that'll be like thirty seasons of free thoughts or years of free thoughts. But uh, I I would say no, uh, because I uh, people listen to podcasts. One of the reasons they continue to listen to a podcast because they like the hosts, and we we have variances where it's just me or it's or it's me and a guest guest host or Aaron with a guest host or something like that. But the core is is me and Aaron. And, yeah, and so. If there if other people who are young people working at Cato when we retire want to start a podcast that even you know has similar type of themes, I think it should be called something different because it's not me and Aaron. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, as just by way of example, we for a few years had a podcast at Libertarians called Liberty Chronicles, hosted by <clears throat> my colleague Anthony Comegna, and when he left Cato not too long ago to work somewhere else, um, there was a discussion of do we continue Liberty Chronicle? Like what do we do with it? Um, and and the only right answer was you you bring it to an end because this show, Liberty Chronicles, is Anthony Comegna's show, right? It would be weird for someone else to like pick it up and continue it. Um, and And I feel the same way about free thoughts. Like if when when Trevor and I retire, I absolutely want you know libertarians.org is still going strong at that time. Like there and there the ought to podcasts be podcasts are beamed directly into your brain. Yeah, whatever whatever is the technology yes. is um, that there ought to be a show that is a opportunity to have conversations about ideas and libertarians.org ought to be doing it. Um, but it does feel like we would you know I we would 
help with that. We would mentor whoever the new hosts are, but it would be their own thing um, in part so they have the opportunity to build their own thing too and not just – not kind of be forever burdened with our thing. Now time for our final question. Of the 299 podcasts that you've made, which one has been your favorite? I, I listed these in the fall with my top 10, but um, – and I – I probably got to go with my friend Sean Hopwood's uh, episode about being in prison for 11 years and becoming a lawyer and getting out. That was really, really good. Um, and there's always a few that I – there's uh, tons that I constantly refer people to uh, if you want to know about healthcare, if you want to know about foreign policy. But Sean's um, Dr. New, Dr. New, uh, uh, why can't you email your doctor was a great one. Thomas Sowell, uh, Matt Welch, Nick Gillespie. But if I had pick one, it would be Sean's. This is a hard question to answer because the episodes are so different. Um, and and there are episodes where I learned a ton. There are episodes that were with people who I had admired for a long time. Um, there were episodes that were just great stories like the Sean Hopwood one, which was maybe the most – from the host standpoint, the most riveting podcast that we've done where you just like you know every question the answer that was produced was like even more crazy than the one before um so just a fantastic story but if i have to pick like a favorite like the one that i was the most excited about um it would have to be our frank portman episode <laughs> um dr frank Simply because – I mean it was a really fun episode. It was about kind of the politics of punk rock and what what those politics looked like in the 80s and 90s. But but it was also just that the the first punk rock show I went to when I was maybe 15 or 16 was to see Frank's band, the Mr. T Experience, play at a small club in Detroit um, and – Ever since the Mr. T Experience has been my favorite band, they were the band that you know I bought every new album the day it came out and saw them every time they came through Detroit or every time they came through Denver or Boulder when I was in college. Um, and so, just to essentially get to spend an hour chatting with you know the person I, like the biggest rock star there is for me <laughs> uh, was just a utter. Delight. And marrying these two parts of your life yes. is, is kind of crazy. So, in its so own that right. one is probably all told my favorite. I got a question for you, Nora. When people say, what does my dad do at school? Or, you, or they say, well, he's like a libertarian think tank uh, or libertarian. What do you say libertarianism is? Um, I've never really acted. I've never been asked what it was, but I have been asked, yes, the question, what is, what do your parents do for a living? I'll, I, I'll always start with my mom because she has just like the simplest job to explain. She's an elementary school teacher. Yeah. And <laughs> Hard then to I explain go, Aaron's yeah. job, yeah. And then I say my dad. So when I was little, I would say my dad fights for freedom. <laughs> with a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and nowadays I say my dad works at Cato, which is a libertarian think tank. I also will say my dad works at a nerd club. <laughs> that's that that that's true. It is a nerd club. So. Yeah. 
So yeah, whenever anybody asks me what it is, I that's most of the time that's what I'll say. So do you have an answer to the? So aside from people asking you, um, what do you think libertarianism is? Well, since I'm only ten and I don't know much about like politics, I think it's just like an opinion that some people have of politics, like they. I don't know much about the difference between, like, say, libertarian and democratic or, like, libertarian and Republican. But so I don't know the difference between those. Like, I don't know enough about politics to fully, like, answer that that's, question. That's, that's great. If, if you've been immune uh, with your dad working here and and living in D.C., then, then, you know, we fight for a world where 10-year-olds don't have to pay attention to politics. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy Free Thoughts, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Free Thoughts is produced by Tess Terrible and Landry Ayers. To learn more, visit us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.